Welcome to Awakening Streams, the podcast of One River Zen Meditation Center in Ottawa, Illinois. Hosted by Sensei Michael Shikan Bruner. Learn more, donate, and practice with us at oneriverzen.org. Thank you for all being here. We're coming close here to the end of Ango. And um, Ango is really meant to be a time where we shake up the patterns of our habitual uh, consciousness or pa- habitual patterns of existence. We cut through our karma. Yeah. But uh, this is our last get together. And um, the next scheduled time to meet is actually during Rohatsu session. And so our habits are gently calling to us, right, to come back. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about practice and about something uplifting, like, I don't know, how about death and regret? (laughs) So I want you to just consider for a moment, what do you think the top regrets of people who are dying are? Yeah? I happen to, I happen to know, um, because I have a list of them that was compiled by a researcher. Her name's uh, Ronnie Ware, and she's an Australian nurse who uh, spent several years working in what we would call hospice, um, caring for patients in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And so we would ordinarily think, well, I don't want to, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> I don't want to know. But I think it's a powerful, powerful tool if we want to have some understanding about how to live our lives skillfully, but how to understand where um, the habitual patterns of consciousness, how our karmic consciousness, where, where that road ends. So I have these regrets here. Yeah? The first was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what other people expected of me. The second one was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And to be clear, that that's, they're saying work so hard for a living, for their vocation. Third was, I wish I'd had the courage there's that word again, to express my feelings. Next one was, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And the last one was, I wish I had let myself be happier. Pretty compelling. The first one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what others expected of me. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize their life is almost over and they begin to look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how much they had wanted, how all the things they wanted to accomplish were left unfulfilled. And uh, most people had not honored even half of their core ambitions or dreams and had to die knowing it was because of choices they had made or probably more importantly, choices they had not made. Instead, they did what they felt others wanted of them. But of course, those others are going to die with these same regrets. So 
this concept of others created a, a, by us clinging to a concept of self, and we have this crazy tautology, right? We cast all of this, um, all of our core um, energy, all of our core ambition onto others who they, who themselves aren't living up to their own um, true ambitions. So health brings freedom that very few of us realize until we don't have it anymore. And then this thing comes out ringing true. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what others expected of me. The next one was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. It was probably better put, I wish I hadn't spent so much time at my job. Because people who did have a fulfilling vocation actually registered you know, very high on the work that they had done, that they had worked hard. But if they're working a job, if they're doing it for the money, yeah, there was a big disparity on men and women with this one. Although the good news is this disparity is catching up over time. It used to be a particularly male thing that they would cast themselves into the vocation. But women are catching up now as they're more and more regularly becoming primary breadwinners. And missing their children's youth, missing their partner's companionship, and dying with deep regret for spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work experience. It isn't the labor we're talking about. People who work hard for meaningful things find a lot of joy in them. It was just that their values were misplaced. But again, through the lens of dying, they were able to see much more clearly. Yeah. Said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The next big regret was, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. So we, many of us suppress our feelings in order to keep peace with others, who ironically aren't at peace with themselves either, right? So as a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became truly who their heart wanted them to be and who they were capable of becoming. They lived inauthentically because they lacked courage. And Brani um, talked about this and said that she thought that many of the people that she saw dying or had developed illnesses relating to the bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result of this inability to express their feelings. So particularly sad that we get crystallized inside of a mold and then decide at some point we just want to keep peace. We just want to, you know, make our way through life without facing um, the issues that, that are right in front of us. But it comes up in the end. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. The next one was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Kind of singular. 
people wouldn't truly re realize the full benefits of old friends until they were actually dying. Yeah. And it wasn't always possible to tra track people down in that time to say the things that they felt needed to be said. To tell people what they had meant to them. And they were all experienced regret that they didn't get to spend more time with their friends, probably as a result of some of the prior regrets. Yeah. We all get so caught up, we think, in our lives, but we're really not caught up in our lives. We're caught up more or less in trying to make peace with our inactivity, our, our inability to manifest the life that we want. And so we push everybody away and move into a shell. And so these friendships that would normally challenge us and inspire us right, to, um, to really rise to the occasion of this life slip by. And they all say that friendship requires time and effort, right? But that they felt that that would have been time better spent than where they invest, invested it. Everyone, almost universally, misses their friends when they're dying. Hmm? The last of the top five regrets of the dying were, I wish I had let myself be happier. Such a profound lesson here, right? So, first off, the fact that that would be in the top five, yeah. people will come to that realization at the end. They didn't realize, though, before then, that happiness is a choice. Yeah. They'd stayed stuck in old patterns and old habits, and the so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions, as well as their physical lives. So fear of change had them pretending, pretending to others, pretending to their very own selves that they were content. But deep within, they longed to really laugh and be silly and have joy and happiness in their life. It didn't surface until it was very difficult <laughs> in those final moments to actually have that. I wish I'd let myself be happier. So I don't know about you, but I, I read these regrets, yeah, and I see reflected in them a lot of the issues that come up for us in our practice. This is the core of all the things that we're talking about all of the time, not because we did some in-depth study and addressed these five core causes, but because it's obvious where this karmic path points. This is the deep matter of our spiritual work, opening to life in a way that's authentic, moving past habits and conventions that frankly don't serve us, we serve them, and moving past them and living, working with what's coming up directly in front of us. Yeah. The spiritual path has evolved around these around this final wisdom that people recognize, the epiphanies that they have when they recognize how fleeting time is. And time is fleeting. 
I try to, we try to impress this all the time, you know, at the end of every night of session, right? Do not squander your life comes up. We meet during koan study and talk about what's coming up in our lives and talk about the importance of working with it now. Don't put it off to the side. Do it now. If something is, is coming up and you want to avoid it, walk into it. And it's the big joke around here is don't ever tell sensei what it is that you're afraid of or you don't want to do because that's the thing he's going to stitch or make you do. There's a reason for that, right? The reason for that is this. This is why. So you'd say, well, this is kind of outside of the, the Buddhist tradition. It's, it's incorporated in our tradition as well. Yeah. Our fears are really what motivate what we regret. And uh, inside of our, the first turning teachings are the five great fears. Yeah. Death, illness, losing face or esteem. Um, another way of putting it would be losing one's mind. Yeah. Loss of livelihood. And uh, the funny one that comes up in fifth uh, of the five great fears in Buddhism is public speaking. <laughs> it's a real thing for some folks. Yeah. So we consider death, unless we're a bit neurotic, this isn't something we ruminate on all the time, every day. And yet, it's a truth that we need to be very, very cognizant of. Yeah. It's only when we have a close call, a car accident or an illness, or a loved one has one of these things that we're forced to face this directly. And then it dominates the mind stage, right? But in a real way, death is never far from our thoughts in the sense that we have to consciously act to suppress that fear. We have to constantly pretend like that's not in store for us, right? It's always nagging, sitting right next to the stage of consciousness, but we never consciously admit that it's there. And it creates or helps create this boundary of the small self, helps us to define what we call our life. We see ourselves as alive because we identify with this small self, with our egos need to exist, to hold together this narrative, to keep doing the work. And we're always afraid of the story ending and this is the biggest ending of them all. The truth is, all of you are going to die. Yeah? You're all going to die. I guess in a bigger way, the question is, are you going to live? If we know if we're able to accept that fact, then we can actually find the truth in our life. Next great fear is, uh, illness, yeah. fear of illness, like full of, full of fear of death, is ego identification with the body, and uh, the consistent low-level vigilance, you know, about threats to it. So we spend a lot of time tied up and worry about this body, which, at the end of the day, we know is destined to be racked with disease and illness. Yeah. And you say, well, I don't see this directly. Well, we see it sometimes. We don't often eat right or exercise because we really want to be healthy. We eat right and exercise because we want to look healthy. Because <laughs> we want to put off a perception that 
we're not going we, we're never going to catch the old yeah <laughs> but in truth every one of you is going to get sick even though it's hard to believe for all these young people here you're all going to get old yeah and so it's important that we use our vitality wisely recognize it in the full light of that understanding we know we have this very precious moment yeah, to, exp to work towards our intentions freely. The next is losing one's mind or losing face or esteem. I don't think we're as afraid anymore. It seems like a kind of a distinctly vague notion you know, of, uh, of having a mental illness where we lose, lose our grasp. I guess Alzheimer's could be one of those, but losing face or esteem, certainly. It's on the world stage right now, right? So we can be, we can be uh, categorically cast off from civilized discourse. And for a lot of us, this is a fate worse than death, precisely because um, we watch the devastating toll that it takes on other people. All of us can think of people whose lives are ruined because they made a misstep, did the wrong thing, they were relegated to the garbage heap of, uh, of humanity. From there, there's very little chance of being redeemed in today's day and age. It's important for all of you to know that you're going to have time to trial brought about by your own unskillful acts. All of you are. Every one of you is going to make a mistake that's going to bring discredit to the story that you want to tell. You need to cultivate a practice that walks circumspectly and recognizes that. And be very careful when you see it happening around you, right? That you not <laughs> relegate humanity to that garbage heap. Look at it as a special opportunity to practice. Like I've told you before, if we're not seeing each other make mistakes, as a Sangha, then we're doing it wrong. We're not practicing closely enough. Every one of us, we need to see those human frailties. We need to see that because it recognizes us of the importance of our ardor and our practice, of bringing some degree of skill and precision into how we practice, how we practice this thing we call life, and how we pick up others when we see them fall short of their own expectations and restore them. You know, in most of the first turning teachings, the only way that you could really be removed from the Sangha is if you were um, guilty of uh, relegating other members of the Sangha to this garbage heap. In other words, if you um, castigated these people in speech or in deed. So it's kind of like the thing that now has become acceptable that we all do, and we actually find some virtue in doing, picking on others, elevating the self or putting other people down, was the only thing that we said, hey, that's not what we're going to engage. But it's important for us to note it so we know what to do when it comes up, how to act with skill.
Next one is loss of livelihood, and I hardly need to even talk about it. Because all of us at some point in our lives have agonized over this. We're going through a period of a lot of anxiety in the world and in the country. Many, many people lost their jobs during the pandemic that's now in the rearview mirror, but frankly, its effects are still lingering economically. But I can't, I mean, I don't know, have any of us not lost a night's sleep worrying about our livelihood? And this can predispose us to things like drinking or taking drugs, stresses relationships, ends marriages, even for otherwise healthy people. This is a big one because, especially as we get older, but it affects everybody, we're not able to envision making a new start <laughs> because we think that all these things that we've created are so substantial and we're so hidden in this vestige of you know, who we feel we are and the value we place in it that we can't imagine losing it. It's probably less about the money than it is about the ego. And so it can be paralyzing. But there's a wonderful truth to keep in mind here. And it's wonderful if you actually keep it center stage. All of you are going to lose everything you have. You're all going to lose it all. Not taking any of it with you. <laughs> yeah. You'll be a faint memory that's only continuance will be the actions that you took in this life. Yeah, that'll be the all that's left. That'll be the only way you're remembered. Yeah. So how are you using that great livelihood, the real livelihood? <laughs> your ability to still act with volition, on your volition. The last of those five fears was public speaking. I think in another way, it's also a fear of being heard. There's an old adage that says, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool rather than speak and remove all doubt, yeah? <laughs> We're afraid of being found out, yeah? The other four are such great fears that it's curious that public speaking is included here, but I can tell you the fear can be palpable. I've met people who have a very difficult time expressing their feelings. There's a notion that an idea or a misstep here can undo your entire life. You'll be tried and found wanting. What's at the root of this? In a way, it's a deep recognition that the story that we tell about ourselves, to ourselves, is a lie. And so, of course, it's a very complicated lie. So if we have to go out in public and discuss it openly, we're afraid we'll lose track of where we stand. We live in concert with everything. We don't ever want to be seen as an instrument that's out of tune or unplayably broken. But when we do that, we miss being heard. We miss the subtle contributions that our actions have when we're able to uplift with our speech, when we're able to call out things that need to change, and when we're able to rally others to defense and support um, of those who are marginalized. 
I'm not talking about just speaking as much as just calling to action and uplifting. Show your courage in your expression. Admit your frailty. But whatever you do, you know, join the song for sure. Don't hide behind that idea that you call yourself. All of these fears are relegated around that, right? These fears point to the things in our past that we use to create a vision of self. And then this narrative gets so complex that it takes over. And we begin to identify with it. So we use these fears to guide our practice. Does it make sense to you? What happens if we use these fears to guide our practice? All those regrets that we pointed out on the first slide. Yeah. Ego wants to hold, to have, to not let go. It wants to be substantial. It doesn't want to be a story. So as long as we have the story, we think at least I have this. Better to hold on to this than to let go and take my chances. That road predictably ends. That's why, every, that's why these top five fears are so commonly shared. Because <laughs> the ego that we think makes us so unique really winds up making us all of the same persuasion of delusion in the end. Yeah. If we don't open to our lives, truly open to our lives, if we don't really steal or cultivate our um, intentions, then I can already tell you folks how the story ends. Fears are a practice. And when those practice, practices are more consistent than our meditation practice, we're going we're gonna to have some regret. Yeah. So in order to break free, we have to resolve to do what you've all done today, to show up with some courage. But we need to stop. With, you know, even within our practice, you'll notice that you'll, you'll only get to a certain point before you uh, seek harmony with the small self, right? Well, I'll, I'll go this far out, but I'm going to stop here. And you say, well, I just don't have the time to do that. You don't have the time to do anything else. Yeah. If you, if you don't really surrender to this practice, yeah, then every day that you're ticking away these habits of the small self, spending all your time and attention on it, one day you'll notice you have nothing left to spend. So it's time to be genuine, to face our fears, to start today. Get up. Practice. Recognize your actions or your continuance. Take on new responsibilities. Stretch your boundaries. Encourage other people. Yeah. If you're predictably better entertained than you, you know, than, than you spend meditating, if you have more Netflix hours in, then you have time contemplating 
the suffering of your neighbors. I can tell you what way this is going to go. Yeah. I just want to encourage you all to not squander your life. You all have such a very special and practice, uh, practice energy that you bring to the Sangha. Yeah. Stop making excuses. I'm not telling you to do something self-serving here. <laughs> I'm telling you to do something that will actually inspire you to live. And to live a life that matters. And to live a life beyond regret. Thank you for joining us. If this podcast was meaningful to you and supported your practice, please give us a hand by joining us at oneriverzen.org. 